Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and today we are in week 23 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today I'm going to be talking to you about questions 59, 60, and 61. And this week, we finally come to that so what moment of the first half of the Catechism. So far, we've been studying about all the foundational, fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. We've been trying to gain a basic understanding of what Christians believe. We've worked our way through the Apostles' Creed. We've learned about God the Father, about Christ the Son, about the Holy Spirit. We've learned about what constitutes true faith in Christ. And today, we've come to the point where the catechism asks, what does it matter? (laughs) What does all of this mean? Yes, it's all very detailed. Yes, it's all very organized. Yes, it's all profound in its philosophical implications. But what good does all of this Christian doctrine do for me? That's the very first question we're going to look at today. Question 59. It reads this way. What good does it do you, however to believe all this. And again, the all this there is everything that has come over the last 22 weeks. And here's the answer. It's simple and yet profound. What good does it do you, however, to believe all this? In Christ, I am right with God and heir to everlasting life. Last week, Heidelberg asked about how the doctrines of the Christian faith give comfort to our soul. This week, Heidelberg is asking, what does any of this matter? And the answer has to do with one of the greatest and most important doctrines of our faith, the doctrine of justification. How can we be made right with God? How can we receive all of the promises, all of the blessings that God holds out to his people? How can we be brought from a state of sin and separation from God into a state of friendship with God and those who receive his promises. And the, the answer is, in Christ. In Christ, I am right with God and heir to everlasting life. Now, I mentioned a word a minute ago. The word was justification. It's a doctrine of our faith. And uh, it's one of those large terms that's really helpful for us to understand. And it's not that easy to understand in some ways. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to help us understand it. Justification is defined as an instantaneous legal act of God where he thinks of our righteous, I mean, thinks of our sins as forgiven and of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. That's the first half of it. And then the second act of God is that he declares us to be righteous in his sight. So two things are taking place in justification. Number one, God is dealing with uh, granting us forgiveness and, and granting us the righteousness of Christ. Those things belong to us. And number two, he is declaring us to be righteous in his own sight. Um, now, there's a passage in Scripture. There's a passage in the New Testament. Jesus teaches this parable in Luke chapter 18, and he actually uses the term justified. Um, So let's look at this parable. It's from Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Here's what it reads. Uh, He, that is Jesus, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So here's a little bit of context. Jesus is talking um, to his followers, but he's also teaching this parable, and he's kind of aiming the parable at those who trusted in themselves. He's talking to the Pharisees, those who uh, were trusting in their own righteousness as being the 
entryway into a right relationship with God. And as a result of this, they were arrogant. We know this about the Pharisees, right? They, they were uh, hypocrites in many ways because they were uh, hoping in their external righteousness. And Jesus kept pointing out that they had a heart that was still filled with sin. But their arrogance caused them to look down on others. And so they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Right? So there's the context. There's the setup. Now here's the parable. Jesus says this, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed in this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus gives this commentary about this parable. He says this, I tell you, this man, meaning the second, the latter, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so this is a pretty profound parable and one that the audience would have been somewhat confused by because Pharisees were, well, they were well-respected within the community. They were known to be those who were very particular about how they obeyed the law of Moses and the law of the ancestors. I mean, they were very, uh, to use another big word, fastidious. They were particularly uh, fixed upon all of these small little laws, even down to the very tithing of the spice rack, right? And so for Jesus to tell the story about this man praying and boasting about his righteousness, that wouldn't have been a surprise at all. But for Jesus to then focus on the tax collector who was a known sinner, who was an individual who was known to be uh, corrupt, to be taking advantage of God's people, to be really under the thumb of Rome and collecting taxes for Rome and, and skimming off the top, this person to come into the house of God and to be humble about it and then to be said to be justified in the eyes of God, that was a shocking thing. Jesus is using this term justified and we have to understand what he means by it. And in the context, For Jesus to say that this man was justified, it does not mean that he had earned forgiveness based on his own righteousness. Absolutely not. Quite the opposite, in fact. He is declared to be righteous and is granted right standing before God over and against the man who was, practically speaking, more righteous. When Jesus says that this man went to his home justified rather than the Pharisee, he means that this tax collector was at peace with God without respect to his own personal righteousness. Now just think about that for a minute. This man has no actual righteousness to speak of, and yet God is looking upon him as though, in reality, he is justified. To justify means to make a legal pronouncement that the man in question is righteous before God and it is God himself that makes such a pronouncement. Now, if you study this term very much, the, the term justified, and, and, and you read it, you'll, you'll read time and again that this is a legal term. This is a forensic term. 
and that it means the opposite of to condemn or condemnation. To condemn a man is to declare him evil and guilty of his crimes. It is to rightly declare someone a sinner worthy of the penalty of sin. But to justify means the opposite. It means to declare a man righteous and innocent of all of the charges. In other words, when Jesus says that this man is justified, he is declaring the man cleared of any moral guilt and that he no longer deserves punishment for his sin. Now, that's that's wild. That's crazy. How can this sinner be declared morally clear of all the charges of his sin? Well, that's where the gospel comes in, and that's really where the next question leads us. Jesus has just declared this person to be justified, to be um, righteous, right with God, if you will, because sin has been removed. There's no longer this barrier between us and God. We are ready to be reconciled to God, and that means everything. By faith in Christ, we are now right with God. But the question is, how can that be? Question 58 Um, I'm sorry, question 60. How are you right with God? And here's the answer. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commands and of never having kept all of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this uh, this righteousness of God with a believing heart. Now, this answer is incredible. This answer is beautiful. This answer is Profound, but it's also the foundation upon which our salvation stands. This is the root, the very root of the truth of the gospel. Um, And it's so incredibly important for us. So let's take a, a few minutes and let's think about it. How are you right with God? It's not the result of any one of us having achieved perfection through the law. It's not the result of our having overcome our sin on our own. Being right with God is purely and completely a work of sheer grace, where the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to our account by faith alone. So that man who was a tax collector in the temple who had a humble heart before God because he knew himself to be a sinner in need of mercy, he cried out for that mercy, and God not only declared him just, not only declared him righteous, but has credited to him something he did not earn. Martin Luther famously stated that a true Christian is simul justus et peccator, at the same time justified in the eyes of God and a sinner. The catechism is pointing this out to us when it says that even though my conscience accuses me of my unrighteousness and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, out of sheer grace, God grants, He gives as a gift, and He credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. So here's what this tells us. Until Christ returns, we will remain sinful saints. On this side of heaven, we will not experience sinless perfection. But praise God, our salvation doesn't depend on our sinless perfection. Our salvation is based on the sacrificial death of Christ in our place. 
which removes our guilt. Our justification is rooted in the perfect righteousness of Jesus that is granted to us who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Christ to endure sin, to become sin, and, and to endure it on the cross, uh, to bear it on the cross, so that in him we who believe might become, have the righteousness of God credited to us. Now, there's another word that theologians like to use. It's the the phrase, actually, alien righteousness. Theologians use this to describe the fact that the righteousness that is ours before God is not our own. It doesn't come from within us. It comes from outside of us. It doesn't come from outer space. I don't think E.T. here. But think about the fact that this righteousness comes from outside of the sphere of our own doing. It comes from Jesus And so we can ask this question, what does all of this doctrine mean? Well, it tells us how in Christ we can be made right to God and heirs of salvation, but how can we truly be made right with God? Well, only through trusting in the work of Christ. By sheer grace, God grants and credits His righteousness, satisfaction, and holiness to us. Now, there's one final question, question 61. Why do you say that by faith alone you are right with God? That's a good question. And and the answer is this. It is not because of any value my faith has that God is pleased with me. Only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness makes me right with God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. Faith alone. It's interesting that the means by which we come into saving relationship with God is, is through acknowledging that we have nothing to do with it and that all we have to do is trust in God's work alone. Faith alone saves. The Catechism here is stressing um, not just the presence of our faith, but really the object of our faith, right? It says here, it's not by any value that my faith has, only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness makes me right with God. Now, that's interesting because in our culture today, it is, it is more appealing to have an ambiguous faith, an, an undefined faith, than it is to have a very specific and well-defined faith. It is far more popular to be spiritual than it is to have a well-defined and specific faith. But the faith that overcomes the world, as John tells us in 1 John 5, the faith that alone saves is a faith in Jesus Christ the Son of God, risen Savior of the believing world. And and what the Catechism says is that we are trusting in Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness to make us right with God. And I often say from the pulpit, as many other theologians and pastors have said, that it is by trusting in the person and work of Christ that we are saved. To believe in Jesus means that you embrace that He is the eternal Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, as revealed in the New Testament. He is God in human flesh. That's the word incarnation comes from that definition. To believe in Jesus means that you are entrusting your eternal destiny and your right standing before God entirely to Christ. It means that you believe in His substitutionary death on the cross for your sins. He died in your place. And you believe that He paid the debt to God that you owe. It is by faith alone because there's no other way to receive this. We are trusting in what Jesus has done for us. You can't buy it. You can't bargain for it. You can't earn it. And you certainly can't steal it. 
It is to be received by the empty hands of faith. You see, as needy sinners, we bring nothing to the table (laughs) but empty hands. And when we walk away, the thing that we cling to with all of our hearts, with all of our trust, is not ourselves, but to Jesus' blood and righteousness alone. That's why this particular week is so important because it's focusing in not just on the details and not just on all of the the minutiae of theological precision. It's focusing in on what does all of this mean to you and how can you receive it to be yours? It means the world to us. The, The question about all this doctrine comes at how are we made right with God? It's only by trusting in Christ alone and we're not trusting in anything but Christ alone by faith. So be encouraged today because if you have faith in Christ, you have all that you need. So thanks for joining me today to discuss this particular week in Heidelberg's Catechism. I hope you will join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 24 together and we learn more about the faith that Christ has given to us, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.